hoe, riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking, yeah. Can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap, it's like hand G rapping is prime. I'm young HO, rap's great for dead. Back to take over the flow, now break bread. I'm in. Welcome back to Miami Nice, you fiends for mojitos our horny campfire denizens <laughs> pals sitting around the campfire uh we're back in the humid climate of miami i'm katie walsh i am here with my partner in crime my partner in undercover vice operations blake howard wearing okay. the shirt today yeah I'm, I'm you can't see this this is an audio podcast. audio audio podcast but i am wearing a i found a really rad original Miami Vice shirt and it's very Great summery shirt. it's very I like it I was like and it's I really need more fiends in my life because I've worn it out to a couple of pubs in Australian <laughs> summer and just no one appreciates it and I'm like this shirt this shirt needs some of the people who listen to this show to be around to actually yeah like it so to appreciate it fully and I guess clearly has taste because like it's a good shirt so there yeah. we go uh, we have a great guest today. He is the editor and a movie critic at Strange Harbors. He is the great Jeff Zhang. I just want to say, so the reason why I wanted Jeff to be on this podcast, number one, Jeff is one of those people I follow on Twitter who I'm like, he always has the correct take. Like, <laughs> I always am like, no, this is right. Like, I'm always, I, I, I appreciate a person who always has the correct take even as early as 16 hours ago he's like simulant starring Simulu is the funniest real movie that seems fake i've ever seen and i literally thought it was a <laughs> fake movie so i went and looked it up and i was like oh shit this is real oh my god um yeah, so, yeah. it's real i watched the trailer and everything <laughs> I was just like, this is a real movie oh man but no jeff thank you so much for being a part of the show um really appreciate you coming down and hanging out with us and talking all yeah. things Miami Vice. Um, so firstly, because of your correct takes clearly on Twitter, um, I just, I, I want to dive in with you straight away. Like Miami Vice could be a fake movie. Like it could be fake. Like if you just had the lines and like random stills, you're like, is this real? And I also, I, I, I didn't think about that <laughs> until I was like, I was like, could someone like put stills from, Miami Vice's trailer up and people go, I don't know if that's real. And I think they absolutely could, but maybe that's, there's something about that, that it's like some of it could be fake, but also now it is actually real. It is fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I guess maybe 2005, if you release those stills, maybe people would be like, this is a fake movie. That's not real. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, it would be like one of those, like uh Ben Stiller fake movies. Yeah. Yeah. from Tropic Thunder or like <laughs> or like you or one of those things where it's like uh like an SNL sketch like yes. they just did an SNL sketch of like the gritty Super Mario uh remake <laughs> and uh which I have to say already exists it's a 1993 movie guys Bob Hoskins yeah. um Katie, Katie <laughs> is the curator of the Dirtbag Hall of Fame Jeff I'm not sure if you know and Bob Hoskins really was the heavyweight champion of dirtbags for for at least oh. the entire period of the 70s so um oh, so yeah, bob hoskins sure. bob hoskins peak bob hoskins he was a real yeah. man look what we used to have people <laughs> we used to have real men like bob hoskins that the, that is the peak male performance you may not like it but that is what it is i would almost Actors argue don't even look like him anymore i no. know yeah no no there's a Bad great there's a great twitter um there's a great Twitter presence, John Frankensteiner, um, that uh, I think uh, 
most of us would have seen. And he posts, he like posts old clips from talk shows and stuff. And my favorite Bob Hoskins is that he got paid like, I don't know, like $200,000 to um, bait De Niro into being in the Untouchables because uh, Brian De Palma- Oh, I heard like, about that. Brian De Palma was like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to get Hoskins. And so Hoskins <laughs> is like, okay. And he sat down and he didn't get the part. He gave it to De Niro and he, got, <laughs> and, and he said to De Palma afterwards, he goes, Brian, you can not cast me in any movie you want forever. Like, I'll take 200000 bucks <laughs> for doing basically nothing, for having a conversation. And my wife and I, you know, at a holiday or whatever, bless him. Um, but yeah, so let's get started, man. It's so great to talk to you. This is obviously a very, this is a very loosey goosey confessional podcast where we kind of dive into all things Michael Mann and Miami Vice 2006 particularly. And we kind of want to know all about that, but like, are you a manhead? Like that, let's I start am, from the deck. I am a huge manhead. And oh, I just gotta you. say it's like an honor to be on this podcast because um, I've been listening to some old episodes, seeing some of the guests that have been on, so many esteemed journalists and film writers, and now you got me, guy who has Miami Vice in his letterbox phase. You know? that's, <laughs> that's how um, we find you, man. That's how we a find lot to live people. up to. That's how we find. That's how people. we find. We literally like troll Twitter and Letterbox, being like, "Who has Miami Vice in their faves?" And I just, this is a small digression, but. Remember when we were all jumping ship for Twitter yes, to, to yes. hive? That's how you and found. That's and you. It was like posting like four favorites, and yeah, I yeah. saw Jeff had posted Miami Vice, and I was like, "This guy's got correct takes, and Miami Vice <laughs> is one of his favorite movies. I need to get him on the podcast." <laughs> Thank you, Hive. That was the only thing you've given us. Can, can Hive? Like, okay, this is another digression, but like. We, we really need to figure this shit out if there is another platform that's just Twitter but isn't Twitter anymore. If we're anymore. jumping ship, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I can't. I can't, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in too deep. I forgot. I know. I'm in too deep. I forgot. I've, you know, Katie and I talk on Twitter all the time. We still get tagged. We find great people for the show. We do it's, business on Twitter. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard still to Still bummed about it. I'm bummed about it. Yeah, so. I'm definitely. <laughs> all right, let's get, well, to a better, let's get to a better topic. Michael. You're, Ma you're a manhead. When did it start? Oh, eat in high school. Yeah. Like many, many manheads, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, but how, how even, was it? Was it a was it a movie experience? Was it a VHS? It was a VHS experience. Yes. Yeah. A friend of mine had it on tape. Um, I borrowed it, watched it over and over again. It's so freaking good. Um, yeah, I think Heat and Miami Vice probably flip-flop between the top spot for my favorite man um but yeah definitely so when miami vice came out were you like i'm there opening weekend it's michael opening man night. <laughs> opening nice. night miami vice <laughs> um and it's a funny story because i don't think people remember how close together collateral and mm. miami vice were to each other it wasn't even two years i believe i think it was like a year and a half. It's like nineteen months. Collateral. It's like yeah, yeah, it's like 19 yeah. Months. It's very. It's it's it's. I think the closest two of Michael Mann's movies have ever come out mm -hmm. together. Because yeah, he, you know, Mohicans is ninety two, then Heat's ninety five, then Insiders ninety nine, Ali right, two thousand and one, right. and so everything's like three four years, and then it goes bang bang. Collateral two thousand four, yeah. Miami Vice two thousand six. Yeah. So two thousand four. I was already a Michael Mann head. And then I remember that summer, I got a bunch of buddies together to go see Collateral. We were all 
blown away, obsessed, coming out of the theater. Uh, definitely converted a couple of them to be <laughs> manheads as well. And then fast forward, like, what, 19, 20 months later, uh, got the same group together. I was like, new Michael Mann, let's go. Go see my uh, go see Miami Vice. Uh, and as soon as the opening bars for Nam- Numb Encore hit, I was, like, pinned to my seat. Loved <laughs> the entire movie all the way through. And then I came out, I was, like, on cloud nine. Everyone else hated it. All my friends <laughs> hated it. They were like, what the fuck was that? That was not, like, collateral at all. They were just so bummed about it. But I was so hyped. You know, they were so like, funny. "We are leaving your cults. We're st- <laughs> yeah, we're exactly. no longer disciples. It was Bye. The, it was the, Get it out." Was a, it was a great Nante months, but uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Jeff, we're out. Yeah, I mean, I was in college, so I wasn't like writing about film. I wasn't into film journalism or anything like that. I just like movies. I liked watching them, and I was salty for years about that. I was like salty for like a whole. <laughs> decade and a half like i didn't really write about movies or really join this circle until like 2019 2020 and then that's when i realized like so many journalists and writers that i respect were like oh miami vice secret masterpiece or maybe not even not so secret masterpiece now like the reclamation's complete i feel uh but i was like nice vindication from that experience I had 15 years ago, like holding on to holding, holding on to the people. bitterness, holding on to yeah, the, the bitterness. bitterness. Are <laughs> like, you still uh, friends with your college buddies who, or, or did it rip <laughs> a few your, of them. your friendships apart? <laughs> a few of them, yeah. You're Miami like, this Vi- person doesn't have taste. I'm not going <laughs> to hang out with them. Miami Vice ruining and, and creating friendships yeah. from 2006. Across the globe. Across the globe, exactly. <laughs> So did you feel like I'm alone on this island and I'm correct? Or were you like questioning yourself? Uh, I just know what I like and I like what I like. So I'm not like, oh, who's right and who's wrong. I'm just like, you know what? I like this thing. I don't care what anyone else thinks. And I'm glad to see some sort of vindication all these years later, you know? So it's, uh, I, I think honestly, that is, um, I know this might sound like a bit like corny, but like, that's the coolest shit. Like I love every film, like every film critic who is just like, I like what I like and I don't care. And even like friends yeah. of this show, like Bill Gatabiri, like I know that like a Jerry Butler, a terrible Jerry Butler movie is going to come out and Bill is going to be like right there for <laughs> it. And I'm oh, like, yeah. it's, it's fine. And like the other week I went and saw John Wick 4 with a buddy and I had some terrible trailer to a Liam Neeson movie like a Liam Neeson actioner, 90 mm-hmm. minutes long. Like he has to not stop driving his car or it'll explode. It's like, <laughs> oh, I can't, I don't even know what it is. And I was, I, I said to my friend, like, I was like, I'm so excited. I'm unashamedly excited for that movie. And I'll be here on opening night. If it even comes to cinemas in Australia, because Liam Neeson movies have a habit of like showing a trailer in a theater. And like three weeks later, it's on like a streaming service for free. <laughs> so it's very possible it won't ever come to an Australian theater. But I tell you what, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Like that 90 minutes, it looks totally stupid. I'm yeah. so down for that. I'm totally into stuff like that. I <laughs> I was there for uh, Gerard Butler's Plane. Love that movie. That was so fun. Plane is um, great. Yeah, Plane is great. <laughs> great movie. <laughs> um, no, I know. It's like you have to 
sort of develop that, I think, or, or at least like stand strong in it as a as a critic and like person who's talking to people online about movies, because it can be really hard to get shouted down or be like, wait, am I the only person who liked this? Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. really sure. challenging. Um, but so, yeah, it is it is such a like uh, vindicating thing to like see like the reclamation of Miami Vice or mm -hmm. or the um you know seeing other people you know it's obviously been going on for like a decade now but um yeah i mean it's just been really fun for us to do it i'm curious like uh maybe on your first watch or even what you've figured out in subsequent watches like did you ever realize like what it was specifically about the movie that like really gripped you i mean obviously the lincoln park jay-z uh <laughs> song but um you know, like, is there some specific element of the film that you just like really connected to or just like scratches that itch for you? Oh, man. So, like, I think coming out of the theater the first time with all my friends, you know, like 2006 was like the height of YouTube armchair analysis, CinemaSins type stuff. And then, like, you know, watching this back to back with like Collateral, you can see why people who loved Collateral went into this and they were like, what the fuck is this? You know, like, what yeah. is this movie? Um, not that Collateral doesn't have its own mood or vibe, but Miami Vice in and of itself is like a mood and vibe, you know? And it's not like the propulsive action thriller, bang, 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 A, B, A to B to C that Collateral is, you know, like that presence of, Tom Cruise as the villain in that movie. Uh, it's just not, Miami Vice is not like that. You know, it's a yeah. whole like vibe. Like, I, yeah. I keep going back to that word. I'm, I think people overuse it, but that's what that is. And, you know, just watching the movie, it's hard to pin down what's so special about it, but I think you know, the way that it doesn't hold your hand, uh, it throws you right into the action. Everything's just right under the surface and you, you kind of have to dig at it a little bit. Yes. Uh, I know coming out of the theater, some of my friends were complaining, like, these characters were terrible. Like, uh, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx had no chemistry. The line readings were weird. Like, I don't, I don't understand what was going on. But, like, that's a lived-in relationship between those two characters. And they throw you right in the middle of that without explaining any of it. There's like no exposition. Uh, there's no resolution to the prostitution ring sting at the <laughs> beginning of the movie. That's just to build the characters and the relationship and like the mood of the movie. And it just goes from one place to another and you just have to roll with it. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing looks like this movie either, especially back then. Like Michael Mann and his digital filmmaking is just a whole nother world you know yeah it's interesting i wonder if there's like like i think collateral and miami vice like there's never gonna be a movie that looks like that ever again yeah it's like they're of uh of their own time and place and format and technology but it's like no one ever achieved what he was going for in that time and i don't think like anyone can go back in time or like can can do that can replicate what those movies are so they feel sort of like museum artifacts even now yeah, yeah it's, it's like that whole techno uh 
the technological progression, we don't have the same regression to that digital film, uh, digital video quality. Like it's easier to go and get a handheld video camcorder and shoot something and then mm -hmm. transfer that in our new editing suite technology and get that there. Whereas like, there was a very particular set, like you have to have cameras. Like I've like got an old like 2K camera like that I bought mm -hmm. like a million years ago because I was like, oh, like if I ever want to shoot something, I want it to look like Miami Vice. And it's one of those things that's really weird. And you're so right, the cinema scenes thing, I we've never mentioned it before, but you guys know like, I mean, I'm sure you probably do, but there's like those big reviews of Star Wars from like Red Letter Media, Plinkett, like Plunkett, Plunkett. Mm -hmm. I don't know really what it is. But I remember one of the criticisms at the time was like of, of the movie Attack of the Clones, of which there are many criticisms. Um, but it was like, <laughs> oh, look at these two guys. Like we like, you know, Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker and Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like they've got this dumb scene where they're in an elevator and they're like, oh, remember when you fell in the... Uh, the and they're like, I remember the advice at the time was like, why didn't you just show these guys doing in action being friends and having a relationship rather than like standing in an elevator that's digitally created and talking about their relationship and it being really false and i'm like well the antithesis of that is miami vice it's like you, you know like those cinema sins guys would probably be like oh it's stupid you don't like even know, they don't talk about their friendship it's like no one talk you don't talk yeah, about yeah, your yeah. friendship like you don't it's just is like you you every time you go to the like you go to a bar with your friend, or you go out to a restaurant or you go catch a movie. You're not like, hey, Katie, remember when <laughs> we became friends over exactly. a shared love of mine? We're not saying that. We're like straight in. You're just talking about whatever right. is on your mind. And it just feels like the, I, I think it's like, there. there's an extreme, you asked for it. Like you asked for this thing and it's kind of asked and answered. You want it, here it is. This is exactly what you wanted, right? And then it's like, mm. no that doesn't happen and you're like okay but you guys asked for stuff like this where people just jump <laughs> in like you asked for it yeah and want anything else um so yeah it's really weird but it's it's that it's that convergence it's like people wanted to fucking picking a plot hole in a movie is the most boring shit in my mind in the whole cinema discourse it's just like what i think it? yeah even now i think yeah. in film criticism there's a lot of I think too much focus on plot. Um, that's why, like, when I'm writing my reviews or whatnot, I tend to like not talk about plot that much. I don't talk about like the plot, the pacing, or the performance. Those are like the most boring things you can—not boring things you can talk about, but like that's what everyone is talking about. But like, I like to focus on like the authorial intent, the themes of the movie. Um, what the movie feels like to me, you know, like the emotions behind the film. And, you know, I think coming out of Miami Vice, everyone's like, oh, but they didn't explain this and the characters don't talk to each other and uh, the plot doesn't make any sense. But like at the end of the day, especially for something like Miami Vice, like who gives a shit about that stuff? <laughs> oh, I'm you sorry. I mean did, you, did you not see how beautiful Gong Li is? Were you not yeah. distracted? No. It's like, would you rather have, you know, Colin Farrell, like, go up to Jamie Foxx and be like, I think I'm falling for the drug lord's girlfriend, <laughs> or would you rather see Hola Chica? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. that's or, all you need to know. Like, cinema's watch... a visual medium. <laughs> yeah, or would you rather watch your best mate get in the boat you came to a place in and drive away? 
across to Cuba with a girl who's really dangerous and you're like, uh, AWACS. So, you know, you look over to the way you like try and go back onto on task and be like, okay, you know, this is totally natural for him to do it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's so silly. It's it's a it's a very interesting and that's probably why you're very good, Jeff. It's interesting to talk um to a film critic who's only been doing it for a couple of years. And especially mm-hmm. I call Katie like a real film critic. Like I um I I play an instrument in the orchestra, but it's the tambourine, it's way up back. And um so that, that's where <laughs> I that's I, I sort of am in the community, but on a very fringe take. But that's for me it's it's got nothing to do with the plot. It's the authorial intent absolutely whether that lands um you know for me like editing and the pacing of a movie is only really just to say is this cohesive and does it maintain the mood right like it's like Mm -hmm. it's like it's such a boring thing to go the pacing it's like also no one knows how a movie is made and -hmm. that's what's brilliant about collateral is like talking to Stuart Beatty on this show we had a little chat with him about collateral and he's like he had this script for 10 years he'd been tuning it through like five different producing companies and it finally gets to Michael Mann and then it spends another year in like multi-tiered development where they're like tuning it and tuning it and it's like it is a perfect machine of a script great genre and it's like genre doesn't have to just be this thing that goes a to b to c and it's like really predictable the funnest genre of movies in my mind are the ones that like have a really clear format do broadly stick to a structure but then fuck with it completely and just throw the author's perspectives intent moods in it and then you're like oh cool it's like not bound it's it becomes like bounded but boundless because they get to do whatever they want within the confines of that thing like that's why genre movies are exciting action movies are exciting like the same reason we praise like a jean wick four for a fucking lawrence of arabia match cut like that's what (laughs) that's what an action genre movie can do it can just do whatever it wants yeah but i think that's also like why we love like man and and for me also scorsese because you they work across genres like whether it's an action movie or a biopic or for scorsese like you know a comedy or a movie about priests in japan or whatever it is that they are always kind of like returning to their sort of obsessive themes um like which obviously for man we've talked a lot about is like his uh the the professionalism versus personal life and balancing those two and then i think Absolutely. in scorsese it's always about like the relationships between men and like brotherly um friendships and and the the complications uh between those kinds of relationships between men but uh, so it's like you can look at you know kundun or you can look at mean streets or you can look <laughs> at silence and be like what are the you know scorsesean obsessively things that are we looking at and then you can look in the same thing with with man where you know it's always about a, a hardened professional deciding how he's gonna go about his yeah. life is, um, is my elevated existence gonna eat me alive is pretty much like a perennial question it's just like What's it going to be? Is it going to be an Ali? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be the FBI? Is it going to be fame? Is it going to be, you know, hubris? Uh, or, or it's something as simple as this is like, is a, taking the biggest drug dealer fictional in South America's <laughs> girlfriend for a ride in a boat and going and shagging her <laughs> face off in Cuba? Is that going to end in problems? Probably. It's probably going to end in some trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what a romance, by the way. Oh, Oh, what a romance. What a romance. They're just, it's peerless. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk, we've talked about many times on the show. I think it's like, it started off being like cool and fun. And Katie and I just talking about the things that like, 
like we love and even the screenings we've done with our, our our cohorts of people it's just increasingly become this huge romantic horny gush fest because everyone's just like it's so everyone's so beautiful and everyone's so in love and isn't love so great in this movie it's it's sensational yeah it's great so when i was first watching the movie uh i was already familiar with gong li and her work and to see her in like a western picture i was a little worried i was like oh are they doing like the dragon lady stereotype you know she's like the drug kingpin kingpins well i mean she's not his wife his wife but like you know what i mean she's yes. like the uh the the heavy you know and i was like are they gonna do that stereotype and you know man does the opposite she's like a fully lived in character with her own foibles and ambitions and part of this doomed romance it's phenomenal i love it so much it's they did that one right i was really really happy for that <laughs> yeah it's interesting how on the rewatches it's just you know talking to blake like what blake was saying about our screenings and stuff it's like i feel like it's the romance that just comes out more and more and sticks mm -hmm. with you more and more i mean maybe because you know on your first watch you're just trying to get a handle of what's going on and then you're just like in this in the vibes in the tone but the it's it's just the the lastingness of that romance and even the trudy and tubbs romance that just like sticks with you when the movie ends that yeah, it, sure. it's you know sure. and then you just realize you're like i can just leave all the other stuff behind i mean obviously we love jose yero but he's a part he's part of this love triangle mm -hmm. um and you know but it's like you can just leave all the loads behind <laughs> you can just leave them behind <laughs> Where are they going? No one knows. I don't know where the loads are going or who got them or where they Someone's, ended up. Some are going to New York, South Florida. Just leave the loads behind. Katie Walsh coming up with every new episode name for our show as it happens. We'll be right back after this quick break. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc who cares <laughs> we're obsessed with loads jeff oh sorry jeff 
the amount right. of times they say loads. We've had a drink. We've had a drink. It's like 40 Katie, times. Katie created a bingo. One of our fans created a bingo. And the bingo was every time someone says loads in Miami Vice 2006, you have to drink. And then after about 15 minutes, Katie's like, <laughs> please go to one. <laughs> I'm like, Katie, stop doing Katie's it. The like, game is over. Guys, I'm, a, I'm the referee of this game. And I officially say that that's over. Please stop doing this. We're all going to die. So. I'm like, I have ambulances on standby <laughs> in every city. <laughs> um, no, yeah, you do not drink every time you hear the word loads because it's like upwards of 40 times. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of our friends has a great, uh, one of our operatives has a great TikTok account where he does like a TikTok about Michael Mann. And I think he did one where he counted all the loads. Go check out Michael D Man on TikTok. <laughs> Our friend CK um, runs it. But anyway, good good Michael Mann memes for anyone who needs it. And I know the internet needs those. We we definitely do. So, Jeff, you're now like you're in this profession. You're doing it regularly. Now that you go back to it, what do you find? Because I find that like I find I have a great um, affinity for comfort movies at different periods whether it's you know and that's how a lot of our projects have started like people ask mm -hmm. you know what it what kind of leads you to a movie and you know all, all the way back to one heat minute it was just like i would i was pretty regularly on the scene i was reviewing movies every week you know the four movies that came out every week i'd be writing yeah, sure. like, at least a couple of them and there would be some weeks or sometimes a month where like you're watching just a whole bunch of trash or just movies that just aren't very <laughs> fulfilling or not very creative or they feel very like rote and you, you, there isn't a mood you can't get on it's just all kind of fine and doesn't really challenge or engage you and i find myself like i just go home and i'll be like all right how the hell am i gonna even start writing about this or like you know collect my thoughts into something rational and i'm like i'll just put heat on first <laughs> and or i'll just put miami vice on and then you just have this thing where it's like this oh, this is exactly why I love this art. And then sometimes because you're reframing it through the lens of like, this is something I really love. Why does this thing work and resonate with me? And now that you're honing your own craft as a writer and as a person who speaks about film and criticism, you know, and, and I mean like very talented as far as like critically thinks about movies. When you go back to it, are there still new things that are coming up for you? Are there new wrinkles? Are there new sort of things that you look at it and go, this is kind of this miraculous thing. Cause I, I love that transition from, I'm just a movie goer and a lover and I can't even put my finger on why I love it. It just, mm -hmm. it makes me feel a certain way. And have you been able to unpack that almost like therapeutically in your like- Yeah, for sure. Career? You mean like revisiting Miami Vice and finding new things on yes. rewatch and yes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I think my latest rewatch, I think I rewatched it three days ago just to prep for the podcast and um one of the things that i focused on more this watch through was the dialogue uh and how naturalistic it is and how you know it builds upon the relationships that are already there when the movie starts and something just as small as this has never hit me before but like when jamie fox is talking to uh john hawks alonzo uh after his wife leonetta has been killed you know, he doesn't go, oh, your wife is dead. His, he says, you don't need to go home, you know? And like that just struck me on this watch through uh, that it never like occurred to me before, but like, that's such a great like reading and writing of that line. It's just, it's just fantastic. You know, something that 
I didn't really pick up on before. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be more as I rewatch this movie over and over and over again, you know? Um, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's the double meaning, like reading between the lines of it all. And like, I think that does make it kind of confusing for people on first watch, but mm -hmm. it's so pleasurable when you, yeah, like watch yeah. it again and focus on the dialogue. And, and that is such a great line and such a great scene. And, um, it's, I it's like a, that you said it was a great reading because like, I don't think we give Jamie Foxx enough flowers oh yeah, for his absolutely. performance in this too, you know? That, that yeah, yeah. when you actually, it's really cool when an actor can do it. It's hard. I, you, sometimes it feels super forced, but when they can, when they can show you that they're formulating a way to say something and he's doing mm -hmm. him such a kindness. That's what I love about the line. That line in particular, it's like, you are, like he's a cop. And so, so many times he has to give people bad news. I'm really sorry to tell you, but yeah. there's been something, you know, and you imagine all the ways that someone would, he you would could have, say something like that. Yeah. Could yeah. Say like, how do you, I can't even imagine, imagine saying to someone that their family is gone. Like, yeah. and especially if you know them and love them, like someone, you know, they're coming home and a dear friend of yours, their family's been murdered. Like it would be the, it's an unimaginable moment. And mm -hmm. this movie has lots of like unimaginable heartfelt, you know, emotionally wrenching moments and it kind of just does them so fast and you, you don't get a chance to really, it's like life. You don't get a chance to react to these things in a way that like you can really process. They just happen yeah. at you and you kind of have to deal with it. It's a new obstacle for you to, to, to be. And I just love that where he goes, oh, you are, you, you don't need to go home. Yeah. yeah and it's exactly. just like devastation. Like yeah, that line. Punch in the gut. It's, <laughs> absolutely and it's and yeah they said it would hurt and him. you also got uh you also got stuff like i'm a fiend for mojitos so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you got you got the best of both worlds there, Such so. totally <laughs> yes that's a really good point it's the like balance because i think the first time i watched the movie i was like what is the dialogue like <laughs> what are these lines <laughs> like you my get, mommy and my daddy love me. Uh, <laughs> you get your tan in Miami is my underrated line of all time because it has the best Naomi Harris slash Trudy reaction shot where she just like has to actually cover her mouth to stop from laughing because everyone can hear her in the in their like earpieces or whatever. And she just got mm -hmm. your tan in Miami. She's like, oh my God, so embarrassing. <laughs> or like all the hose, like I'm a disco guy. Disco like guy. when Chub Tubbs is like, you want to fuck my partner? <laughs> it's so funny. But then, yeah, you do have these, like, really, you have these ridiculous lines. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have these, like, also really beautiful, heartbreaking moments of writing. But it's also, like, the ridiculous lines, like, they're authentic and lived in, too. Because yeah, no, no, no. It's all part like of the fabric cheesy. of the movie, for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, they're you know, these are undercover cops in Miami. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's, um, you said you're familiar with Gong Li. I was really lucky. Um, uh, I've got, I got my hands on this incredible box set. It's probably one of the best movie box sets, physical media box sets you could ever get your hands on. It's the Zhang Mao Gong Li collaborations box set that Ooh. the guys at Imprint Films pulled together. And I was a person who was like broadly familiar with her work, but then got to spend a chunk of time um for for our physical media show um uh blues brothers or imprint companion going mm -hmm. through that box set like ripping through everything watching docos like everything and yeah. so i wonder what's your like do you have any other gongli favorites 
that you had seen either before or since that you're like these are movies that just add other elements of her because i don't know if we've given her speaking of giving flowers i don't know if we're giving her flowers because like i i almost want to go and grab that box set and be like there are so many amazing all-star performances from her in like already what is a kind of a complicated like news artist relationship because sure, it was sure, her sure. partner so like um are there any other gongli movies that you love that you like want to want to yeah say? what's in that box set i mean obviously raise the red lantern yes that's uh, in to there. live they're both fantastic yes but um, both of those in the box set yeah uh incredible movies and then curse of the golden flower a more recent like wuxia opera kind kind of movie yes uh, it's very opulent and colorful um yeah so one of the all-time great collaborations i think in that in that uh, box set there is um red sorghum which is a beautiful red sorghum movie, yeah which is a beautiful movie raise the red lantern uh the story of kuju to live uh mm. shanghai triad curse of the golden flower coming home um really i mean I don't even know if you can get them anymore, but like the cinema of Zhang Yimou and Gong Li from 1988 to 2014 is like, go on eBay, find it. That's a wild box set. That is a wild box set. It's a wild box set. Yeah. So as soon as you said it, you're familiar. I didn't want to miss on that opportunity to be like, I I think, I think raise the, raise a red lantern and to live. Um, maybe two of the best movies I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like just they're, ever <laughs> they're, just they're kinda, so good they're just incredible so um and she's so massive like it's like it, it's i think in our conversation recently you know with uh donnie yen and and um mm-hmm. people like hiroyuki sonata and like john wicks i'm like yeah hiroyuki sonata is japanese tom cruise like he's <laughs> so big and like we're all like oh sick hiroyuki sonata but like there's some real ones out there that are like uh he's like, like no, no no you don't understand you don't yeah. understand and i feel like we haven't done that with gongli as much because it's like you know yeah it's, it's easy to say but she's like so massive it's unbelievable and for her to be in this massive michael mann movie also hugely significant yeah. for the movie's reach yeah and i'm hoping for like a s- similar trajectory for tang wei too because I loved her oh. decision to leave. Also, yeah. someone who's worked with Michael Mann before in Black Hat. Also, yes, a movie that I love. <laughs> Are you I'm a soy a, boy? I am. I am a manhead like through and through. So uh... he's a, another soy boy, Katie. <laughs> yes, that's yes. what we call the Black Hat. That's what we call the Black Hat fans. You're a soy boy, man. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. We can't. I we mean, can't... I even like Public Enemies. I don't know that many people that like Public Enemies. I really like Public Enemies. Yeah. I rewatched it. Uh, recently too so yeah and you know filming that with uh his signature digital filmmaking is so different too you know you never see like a period movie yeah filmed in that manner you know handheld low to the ground intimate between the characters and then there's like an added layer in that movie where you know it's about this obsession with these two guys chasing each other or escaping and then you know like the the institutions of like modern technology like rising in america around them you know like yes surveillance fbi uh society like you know uh bureaucracy you know that like digital filmmaking just adds a whole nother layer to that and um i i really do like that movie i i will say the one thing that i don't really fuck with is the Miami Vice director's cut just because there's no no encore in the beginning. <laughs> Jeff, you can't kill that opening Jeff. scene. That cold open is just 
Jeff, we, we will send you the Miami nice cut. <laughs> Miami um, nice cut. We have is, a, a little gift for you gift for, you <laughs> for our gonna, podcast guests. It's, it's, uh, for all of our podcast guests, it's going to appear in your uh, Twitter uh, DM inbox very shortly, which is the great editor, Vashi Nidamansky, who is a, um, you know, a real Hollywood filmmaking editor and filmmaker in his own mm -hmm. right and an editorial consultant um, did us a favor where he pulled together a Miami nice cut, um, which is, which takes the very best of the theatrical cut and then blends into the director's cut. So we get all the, you know, tangential storylines, but all doesn't right, lose. Doesn't yes, lose you do. The, <laughs> and and uh, we're going to send it to you and you can have it and keep it. And honestly, Katie and I have like, we, we try and convince people all the time. It's like, look, we don't want to, we don't want to be too like, um, too glib but like it's the best version of the movie it is really it's truly <laughs> the best version of the movie because you get the theatrical opening but then you get so much more of the trudy and tubbs relationship mm, yeah, and yeah. um that i think that really fills in like the emotional tenor of like the climax of the film um and and makes you really invest in them as well so uh it's funny because i think we had been doing the podcast for like a year where just like every episode we were like Someone really needs to like yes. make a version where we include these scenes when it's a theatrical opening. And then Blake was finally like, fuck it, we're doing it. And he just like, <laughs> got Vashi to do it. And we're obsessed and we like screen it to our like Patreons and friends and stuff all the time. And it's like so good and fun. This is, and, and just to sort of call back to like what you were uh, talking about earlier, Blake, about like what movie, what comfort movies do you like put on to kind of mm. like, center yourself like i feel like every time i mean collateral is like so mm. i always you know that michael mann ranking is like heat and then it's like what's your number two mine's collateral but i do love miami vice very much but every time i watch collateral i'm like because i have to watch so many movies for work that are are of varying quality and um i'm just like this thing is so effortless like it yeah. just moves so effortlessly the fact that you're at like minute 19 and you already have emotional connections to all of the characters and it's Absolutely. when the body hits the cab and it's like you're already on this journey and it's like not even 20 minutes into the movie yet and um i just really respect how easy he makes it look and so sometimes when i'm watching something that i'm like this feels so labored like why is this taking so long or like it's mm -hmm not even paced wrong, but like it feels effortful or plotting or something. It's like, I just love like touching back down on something that feels like it just starts and goes and it's like gliding, you know, it's like, it's yeah. so graceful. Um, and so that's why I just like love collateral so much. And because Tom Cruise. Yeah. I think with Miami vice, you know, that opening stretch is so good. I had me pinned to my seat. But then, like, when the action kicks in, the action in this movie is fantastic, too. Like, when the Russian FBI informants get blown away in their car, that's, like, yeah. that's so kinetic and visceral. And, like, no one does something like that, like Michael Mann, you know? And uh, there's no coda. There's no warm-up. Yeah, no, no, yeah. That, and exactly as Katie said, like, 19, like, you're just, like, club, bang, Neptune. The Russian informants thing goes down. Alonzo's yeah. in the car. The boys are in the car. Like everything's happening, and it's just like we are not going to, we are not going to take our foot off the accelerator in this movie to even have like the most minor breathing moment until right, it's right, like right. 
Alonzo's gone. Can these guys be deputized as federal? Try and get like it's like it's that whole like Vegema scene. Weirdest Japanese name on an Irishman with an American <laughs> accent of all time. But um, like that, it's it's like that's the same thing. You just pin to your seat for like 19 minutes, and you're like, if you're not, this the other thing is like, if you're not in by now, like I don't, I can't help you. I don't know what to yeah. say to you. Yeah. Like I don't. If you're not in, like this isn't like unexpected, cool, great action, like good flirtation. Well, yeah, I mean, it, like we've said before, like it starts in motion and it ends in motion, like mm-hmm. it's constant momentum. But I think it's also um, like interesting that it kind of rests in the middle, like when they go to Cuba. Yes. And so it's yeah. this kind of you're expecting it to, you know, we have expectations about how movies start and end and how they feel from act one to act two to act three. And like, that's kind of fun to um, you know, be like, and then this happens and then this happens. But when somebody is really playing with your sense of momentum and time and place and um, how to, you know, the ebb and flow of the dynamism of like the storytelling, it's so different and weird, but it's also, it's so, it might feel uncomfortable to some people who are like, that's not collateral or like, this mm. isn't, you know, what I expected it to be because it, I think it, he really is, you know, playing with, time like as jean baptiste theray has has said so beautifully in his essay about miami vice um and like i think that that is something that like sort of takes a while to get used to but then once you're in it's like very addictive to kind of revisit and come back to it and and um like get on that wavelength again yeah life is short time is luck right time is luck It's funny because even in when we did One Heat Minute, I had a great comedian on who does the George Lucas show, Connor Ratliff, who's also like a massive Heat fan. And he had a theory, he's like, he was always like, Heat happens over seven days. And like, this is the last seven days of Neil McCauley's life. And it was like a really cool theory. And it was only- Wait, until, Heat happens over seven days? Well, that was his theory. Like Heat oh. 2, <laughs> when Heat I two, was like, what? I know, it's a great theory. Watch it again. Cause he's like, it happens over seven days. And he's like, this oh my is, God. And I was like, oh my God, that is like so crazy. And it actually plays like when you watch it, it does look like it happens over seven days. It's only since Heat 2, the book came out that they're like, oh, in three over three to four weeks, this happened because they actually plot out, you know, obviously in a book, you're doing much more expository kind of explaining um, of how, how long things happen. And it happened over a month. That was a you know that's kind of like canonically true now but you can totally watch heat and go this is happens in seven days because like it happens in the more like you know going right from neil in the middle of the evening going to steal the ambulance and then you know going from there into the next thing into the next thing it feel like if you just went day night day night day night day night it's like seven days and so it's funny mm-hmm. that like michael mann that's not it's not necessarily something that you know, he, you're thinking that he's making an overt decision, but it's fun because it's like cinema, you know, movement, time, like fundamentally, these are things that get manipulated. And it's like collateral is his most explicit manipulation of that. Like this is, this is literally happening in a day. And Miami Vice is like, I've never thought about like, how long does Miami Vice go for? Like, how long are they on this job? Are they on it for like weeks? That's a, I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never <laughs> even thought about it, but I'm like, oh shit, like how long does a boat, I started thinking how long does a freighter take from South America to Florida? Like I don't actually have the answer. Um, but 
yeah, it's just really interesting that like some of your favorite movies, they kind of mess with you in a way where you can have like really, you can be really sure about exactly how long things happen or how long things are unfolding, but like also have no idea. Yeah, but like the digital haze of this movie makes it like very hallucinogenic. It's almost like impressionistic, you know, like it is. It's easy to lose yourself and like lose your sense of time and like how long this movie takes place over, you know? Um, yes. And I think maybe that's why a lot of people have problems jiving with the movie just because, you know, it doesn't slow down. And uh, if you're watching it for the first time, you're like, wait, what happened? Wait, why are they doing this? And uh, it's not until like you watch it for a second time that you're like, well, you just got to go with it. You got to go with the flow and uh, soak it all in, you know? Yes. Yeah, it it really sort of like uproots you from time and day and night and even place, like when they go to Miami or go to Cuba. And Mm. it also like kind of uproots you from traditional norms of like plot and it's like kind of saying like here's a lot of plot but also it doesn't matter yeah emotionally exactly, and yeah. and it's like this it's i love when when movies are like cha- like challenge you as a viewer to uh rethink how we think about movies like it's not just like easy pablum or something it's like mm-hmm. no this is really challenging me to get on its wavelength to get on its timing and um and and sort of reteaching me how to experience cinema so i i appreciate that that sort of challenging moment um yeah. that miami vice is it feels instructive and um and yeah like it decenters you to like recenter you yeah i'm the same with you i love being challenged by the things i watch you know so um so in that spirit jeff we've done this we did it kind of sort of recently with uh another guest who folks would have heard josh lewis came on the show mm-hmm. and we kind of ended up tic-tacking into double feature talk like what would you oh. program with Miami Vice, and I would just love to know, like, as a way to help us close out the show, like, if you were going to plan a double feature to try and maybe get those friends that you'd lost in 2006 <laughs> back, um, back to be manheads again, or just back to just loving this movie, and you had a chance to plan a double feature, what would it be? Like, what movie would you pair with this that maintained the vibe and the energy? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here. I know. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I just I just thought of it because you you made some wonderful yeah. points around the things that resonate with you and you seem to have like a really clear vision and and I I was just like I would love now I'm now I'm almost like we might have to prep our guests and say we yeah. really want to know this because <laughs> we had some wonderful answers and Katie and I were like stressed out like What oh did I God. even I don't even remember what I said. I think we oh, I, I can't <laughs> No, you. Oh no, you went on a Miami kick, Katie, and you talked about Scarface. You're like, I would. Do oh it. yeah, I would yeah, do, yeah. I would yeah, go yeah, Miami yeah. Or, or Spring Breakers, or, spring or break- no, maybe Josh Lewis. Josh, Josh had Spring Breakers, breakers. and then I had Unprofit because I. Yes, I that's what with, you chose. I, I yeah, the cover themed. Yeah, the thing with double features is you can go in so many. I know directions. You can go with a vibe. You can go with theme. You can go with just. I don't know, like a straight up clash. There's so many things you can yeah. do. Yeah. Um, okay, this is like I feel like this is an obvious choice, but point break. Point break, yeah. Point break's a good one. 
Yes, yeah. definitely. Great one. Um, right, I'll pick something. Another movie in my top four, Letterboxd top four, Lust Caution, maybe. Oh, so my God. Oh. Romance. That's uh, great. That's a romance. I tell you what. Read there. <laughs> talk about two movies with some spicy sex scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. <Exactly. laughs> Jeff, you are speaking my language. Great but, movie. I mean, Tang like, Wei. Ong Lee, I mean. Tony Leung. Oh, Tony Leung. He's like such a vibes filmmaker too. Yeah. Yes. In a way. Not every time, but like he's really in like that he he's he's into the sort of like it's more about how it feels. Yeah. Than than a, anything else. Yeah, and another director who uses digital to yeah. great effect. Uh I think like right now digital is so, you know, like trying to mimic film and make it look clean and like make it look as great as possible. And then no one's really adding texture like Michael Mann is or like Ang Lee does with the high frame rate. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of high frame rate stuff, but um, I will say that James Cameron's another one of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first like some... time ever that high frame rates work for me is Avatar 2. But I do think that like Ang Lee is actually, I mean, like I, I don't love it either, but I think he's actually being like, well, what purpose does this serve? And yeah, like in like the same way, serving a purpose, exactly. yeah, in the same way that, um, you know, man is like using digital photography to like add to the story or like enhance the stories that he's trying to tell or like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it's nighttime. It's like we can see all of these things. Like, let's like get all of the you know, sounds of the night um, in the mix. And and I think that Ang Lee is like really trying to do something with high frame rate, especially with Billy Lynn's long yeah, halftime walk, Billy which Lynn's, I yeah. it's yeah. like such a weird movie, but like he's <laughs> it using it to sort of create like an empathetic connection to Billy Lynn. And like, he's actually trying to use it to like create an effect in the viewer and like that serves the storytelling so it's like i don't think he's quite there yet but he's getting there and he's doing a lot of interesting stuff with format and technology so there's i do think i do think james cameron's close to cracking the yes yes secret sauce on that just because (laughs) you know shooting in layers where something on the screen is in a high frame rate and then something else isn't that's like something only James Cameron would do and like the <laughs> underwater stuff looks phenomenal. But maybe yeah. it's like cuz yeah. I I felt so weird like watching Billy Lynn with and even yeah. Gemini Man like I was like Gemini Man yeah which I think is a bad movie but like I know some people <laughs> like it whatever but um <laughs> but uh it's like when it's a human being it's like there's an uncanny valley yeah. aspect to it but I think maybe if it's a Navi it like makes you empathize with the Navi more because they look so real. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's a great that's a great double feature great suggestion. Pick. Great pick, sensational. Um, um, yeah, Jeff, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, my man. Thank you so much, and I'm so glad that you were really holding a torch for this movie. Uh, as as people who walked out of that theater were, and I'm so sorry that you had. Um, I think there is a quotient. You can only really convince two people at a time that Miami Vice rules. Um, and uh, if you Bunch have, of more, yeah, if you have, <laughs> if you have, if you have uh, a big, a big crew, um, I'm, I just hope that they listen to this. 
that you feel vindicated and just know that you have a home and a community uh, in, in with our fans anyway that uh, lo- will will love to hear that you will ride or die right from the very beginning. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to talk with you guys. This was so fun. like such a 20th century movie it feels like something david lean would have done or tried to do uh when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of lost you can just watch fearless (laughs) not a week goes by that i don't think of the ending of gallipoli it's left a mark a year of living dangerously uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a, you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. (laughs) And I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia's ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many (laughs) properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker a smart lyrical um hallucinatory filmmaker he's a very dreamy filmmaker and i don't think he gets his due you know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it. But at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been it's one of those things, again, I, 
I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander.